What is up, everybody? This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 60. Thanks for joining us, for sitting down in your homes, in your cars, hopefully in your homes, uh, practicing a little social distancing to get this curve down. And uh, yeah, I think it'll help. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch, drops, blog entries, links to videos, that kind of stuff. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player or whatever player you're using for full track listings and links to things that we're talking about. So yeah, crazy times out there. You know, I know it's a little nuts. Uh, Everybody's been at home, hopefully for the last three weeks, four weeks or so. It depends where you live at. Beaches are closing slowly. You know, I'm I'm kind of feel mm, all over the place about that, as many other people do. I think a lot of people have ruined it for local people to go surfing because they've been congregating at beaches. I think there's probably was a smarter way And, you know, a lot of these people going to other counties to surf has kind of ruined it for a lot of people because there was a possibility that we'd be able to surf very quietly. I know the last time I went a couple of weeks ago, people I were with, we were very discreet about it. We came, we surfed, we left. And it seems what ruined it is that people are just hanging out. I think that video of that stand-up paddle border that the Brothers Marshall posted is really funny. If you saw the live feed that they had going it was the most hilarious thing i've ever seen and uh i think there's going to be a lot more of that around the world but i think in general look let's all like chip in let's all kind of stay home there's a lot of content being produced i know i'm going to be producing more content for you guys and find other things to do we posted uh an instructional guide on how to produce your own balance board so that could keep you busy for a little bit if you have access to a saw or don't even cut it out just keep it rough like who cares just you know keep yourself active skating is another thing you know you're allowed to go skating outside find some random curb away from everybody else i know what i did is i found a parking lot that was closed that had a couple of curbs on it smooth ground and i went for an hour and then went home the same thing as i'd approach skating so that's just my advice but in general i think if everybody contributes now and stays indoors stays stays away from people really reduce your contact for the next three weeks you're gonna see the numbers go down a lot and slowly we'll get back to normalcy if we don't if we just rebel and act like knuckleheads honestly this thing is just gonna drag out and the thing i keep on telling most people is i'd rather do four weeks than do six months and right now we're two weeks in and another two to three weeks is going to be worth it but anyway i don't want to bore you with that stuff because you came here to escape you came here to listen to some stuff and this episode is a really fun episode This episode, you get two interviews for the price of one. Uh, The first interview is with David Arganda. And David is an amazing longboarder, amazing person. I've been getting to know him a lot over the last two years or so because we filmed a part for Jetty Blue 100s with him, been to a bunch of the contests. So we sat down with him at Michael Takayama's Shaping Bay, so you'll hear a lot of noise in the background, and talk about competitive surfing, how he got into surfing, where he sees it's going. The second interview we have this week is with environmentalist and surfer Sarah Brady. She's a lives in Encinitas, she's a San El local, and she's been really active in the scene to 
bring awareness to what's going on at the San Onofre power plant. A lot of people think because it's shut down, it's game over and we don't have to worry about it. But she goes into detail about why that's something we really need to think about now. And we have links uh, for that. We also have some short takes. Uh, we have a video that recaps the Byron Bay Surf Festival in 2020. Uh, a new clip that uh, Steve Cleveland did for CJ Nelson called Awoke which is really cool. It's more of a short film, I would say, and, and I think it's very interesting to watch. And the last thing is a clip that our boy Robots From put out called uh, Catfish, which is really cool. But I don't want to bore you with that. I want to put you back into some tracks. And as you can tell from the beginning track, we're getting a little island vibey. And I've been listening to a lot of reggae recently all over the place. and. This genre of music is a very complicated one in the sense of there's so many different aspects of it. And if you asked me to put together my favorite reggae playlist, it would probably be 200 songs deep, if not more, because I love all aspects of it from early ska to dub to dancehall to some of the more modern stuff. I'm a big fan. So I thought it'd be appropriate just to kind of go through a mini up and down ebb and flow timeline, if you will. So I'm going to dip into a bunch of different subgenres in reggae, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And I'll be back with you in a little bit to talk to David. Peace. Cause I'm nasty on ya 
What up, everybody? We are back at the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 60. Hope you guys have been enjoying the tracks, the ones I've been picking. Like I said, in a perfect world, this thing would be 200 tracks long, but I had to pick and choose, and these were just some of the ones that came to the top of my mind. But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch drops, we have blog entries, we have links to videos that we're working on, a bunch of other stuff. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player for track listings and links to things that we're talking about. So this episode, we were lucky enough to sit down with David Arganda, uh, down in San Diego. I did this interview probably about two or three months ago and I was just waiting for some time to release it and I thought this was a perfect time. We recorded at Michael Takayama's boardroom where he builds all his amazing boards and so you're going to hear some spraying, some dust in the background, that kind of thing. I apologize but again this is just the nature of the podcast. You know how it is. So let's get into the interview and uh, see what David's up to. What's your name? Where are you from? Uh, my name is David Arganda, and I'm from Carlsbad, California. And how did you get into surfing originally? Um, so I was born in Carlsbad, moved to Thousand Oaks before first grade, and then moved back to Carlsbad at first grade. And I was going to the beach a lot. I was also going to like Legoland a lot. <laughs> um, and then You're I started doing kid stuff. Yeah, kid stuff. <laughs> Standing up on boogie boards, and then there was an old, old Santa Cruz single fin um, shortboard in my garage, and I asked my mom, "Hey, I'm gonna take that thing surfing," and she was like, "No way! You gotta walk yourself down. You're gonna What's hurt yourself with that." No, no, no one in my family surfed. So it was just there. Wild. It was just there in the garage, which is pretty awesome. Walked myself down the beach, started surfing, and then my parents saw that it was a thing, and I was stoked, and then that's how it started. Just every weekend after school, uh-huh. taking me to the beach. What age were you? Uh, first grade, so I don't oh, know. Oh, wow. Six, seven. Six, seven, yeah. Pretty young. It's pretty young. I went, and this was in Carlsbad? Carlsbad, yeah. Tamarack. Tamarack. <laughs> and what was the scene like there for like a little kid? Um, well, the wave then was a lot better. Or maybe that's just how it always is. Well, when you're little, like, right, like a little wave seems like a yeah. big fucking oh, pipe. Right? I was, yeah, I was surfing like two foot slop and it was, I was like, oh, <laughs> going out, it's huge, we're doing it. It was fun. And uh, what were some of the, what were some of the other kids that you started surfing with at that age? Um, I had buddies that I surfed with. I was like a shortboarder. Okay, so you started you know, first Yeah, I started shortboarding first. I had buddies who shortboarded, and then I got into longboarding uh, a little after I started. And I didn't have any longboard friends. I was hanging out with like the old guys at the beach who uh, yeah, that's it. That's weren't the only, shortboarding. Well, that's the only people that were longboarding then, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, but that's the only people I was hanging out with okay. that were longboarding. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then once I jumped on a longboard, it was kind of... This is it. That's it, it. Yeah. yeah. 
I think everyone gets that feeling who like commits to it. Like I always tell people like who don't like I have tons of friends who like been surfing 10, 15, even 20 years like just shortboards. I'm like mm-hmm. just do it. Just do it at least like one weekend like give it a shot and then a lot of them are like oh see now I know why you're hooked. I'm like yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. I was fun. like I also get to surf every day. <laughs> like no matter how big it is or small. Uh who are some of the people early on that you looked up to for influence in terms of surfing? Oh wow. Um, I looked up to a lot of the local guys around here. So Jerry Swangin, uh-huh. I was surfing with him a lot. Mike Stedham, um, Noah, um, Travis Perkins. A lot of the people I'd surf with at like around Carlsbad, uh-huh. Oceanside area, uh-huh. that were longboarding. More of the undergrounds, and then a lot of the Donald team. Okay. So like Mike and Noah and Kai Salas and oh, that's right. those guys I was looking up to a lot. Oh, cool. Yeah. And did videos come into it at all, or was it mostly just like in-person influence? It was a lot of in-person influence. I didn't really get into the surf videos and getting really into the surf history until later, uh-huh. until after I surfed, or a- after I learned how to longboard, uh-huh. which is kind of weird, kind of backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now I think I'm so into that part of it now, right. just stoked on that part of it now, Yeah. versus being stoked on it before. So now it's fun. I have oh, that little journey so now that so I, like a lot of people had then. That's what before. I was going to say. It's probably so new and fresh to you that it's not boring. Yeah. And here, um, like in the surfboard factory, learning about everything, and yeah, it's fun. It's and Michael it's probably fun. has a zillion stories to tell you. Yeah, <laughs> every day. That's what I love about surfing is that passing down of the lineage. Like it's like as much as you could do like online and reading, it's really those people like a Michael or like you know I always look at like Tyler Zekian or like Joel or any of those people. Like they're very much like. They'll, they'll talk your ear off. Like, yeah. they're so open to, like, spread that knowledge. So that's... Like, Such think, good stories, though. Yeah, which is, like, like awesome. Um, I've heard a lot from uh, some of these people. Now, you've uh, you've been, like... So you're longboarding, and you've been competing a lot now. When did you start, like, competitive longboarding? Uh, basically, when I first started surfing, I wanted to be a pro surfer. You that were always set. It was set. It was either being a pro surfer or have a surf shop or... Do something with surfing. Um, I started competing maybe sixth grade. Oh wow! Um, I've gotten yeah in like the some of the middle school contests, the ISFs. I think uh-huh. that's what they were. And that was really cool because then I got to see other kids surfing from like San Clemente and down south. That's where I met and started surfing with Andy. I saw him surfing in the middle school contest. Oh, really? That was wild. That was so cool. <laughs> was he as like nutty as he is now in terms of surfing? Oh, yeah. He was shredding. Yeah. Yeah, it was rad. He has like the craziest, craziest style. But now you've been doing like, in the last couple of years, you've been doing some of the bigger contests. Like you did the WSL. Mm-hmm. And how was... How was that experience doing the WSL? Because did you just do the New York one, or? Yeah, I just did the New York one because it was the closest one here, and I, all my friends are doing it. Yeah. So I might as well go hang out, have fun. <laughs> and how was the vibe? Jeff? Super cool. Yeah, Devin's doing an awesome job as the commissioner. It was rad. It was such a cool event. 
a lot more single fins, which is rad. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was mellow. It was, everyone was stoked. Waves were good. Yeah, it was Fun. decent. Would you think, before Devin took over, do you think he would have done it? Mm. Maybe I would have tried. Because I mean, I did do it. Oh, you I did? did do it before, yeah. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was rad. It was How cool. many years did you do it? I don't know, maybe three to two years of China and one Taiwan. Uh-huh. So, in your perspective, how is it different from when you did it before? Um, you can make a few more heats on a single fin. There you go. Were you riding a single fin when you were doing it in China and stuff? Totally. And they were just like, what the fuck? No, but maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, then it was just like fucking super high pro fucking two plus one bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think what he's doing is really interesting that he's opening it mm-hmm. up. I think the thing that's cool for me more than anything is that you're getting a lot of people who tip, who wouldn't enter these contests mm-hmm. now wanting to enter them. Oh, yeah. Which is really and some cool. of the some of the kids that didn't want to, mm-hmm. who now want to, are the kids that are going to win it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you're totally. seeing the heats as they're going. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how Taiwan pans mm-hmm. out. And I know... Devin said that next year it's going to change even more in okay. a good way. Mm-hmm. Supposedly. Um, awesome. <laughs> but, um, that's that's what I heard through the grapevine. Um, but you've also done like some of the other contests, which I would call more of the, like the the culture based contests. So you've done uh, duct tapes. You've done like what four or five of them? I've done. Four duct tapes. Four duct tapes. Four skateboards. Yeah, yeah. That's how you know. See, I love that, that they have that as kind of like the souvenir. Yeah. It's much better than a fucking t-shirt, right? It's rad. The t-shirts are rad. All the Chris, no, no, all the Chris Johansson is, art. Yeah. So sick. I remember talking to Harry. Harry was like, he's like, he's like, let me think about how many how many skateboards I have at home. He's like, I have a shitload. Yeah. He's like, that's how many I've done. It's cool, yeah. I like that they're all different every time, too. The one you guys got for Japan was sick. Yeah, that one's That rad. shape is really good. The one that was the U.S. Open one was that Bart Simpson one. That one was weird. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Yeah, like Worm <laughs> has it. I'm like, I'm like, I would. I cut it all um, zigzaggy like uh, Charlie Brown. So that's my Charlie Brown. Oh, board. that's awesome. That's what it looks like. It looks like a Charlie Brown board. Uh, you did the relic as well. Uh, I did one of them. With the Malibu one or trust? I did the Malibu one. Okay. And what, last year, not this year. No, no, last year. Uh, yeah, the last Malibu one. The last one. Yeah. The one that Taylor Jensen won. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh. yeah, we won't talk about that. Fuck that place. Um, so, you've done a lot of contests. You've traveled all around the world. What do you think is your favorite thing about competing? Is it the travel? Is it the people you get to hang out with? What is it? Um, seeing new places in the world is always pretty amazing. It's, uh, I'm stoked that surfing has given me that opportunity. And traveling with my group of friends is so fun. Yeah. Um, I travel a lot with Ken and Stevie, which is rad. Yeah, I mean, everyone, we all will all travel to the same spot. And it's like a, like a, not a home away from home, but it's like a big family away from yeah. the family, you know? Well, the thing that I like, like that I find really interesting too with you guys, is that like people come to the contest who aren't even in the contest. 
Yeah. She didn't like the <laughs> worm came to like the duct tape of New York. Yeah. She's like, yeah, everybody's going. Like, I'll go. I'll it's go like out. it's like the club contest. Like, if you're yeah. not in the Malibu event, you're still going. Yeah, you still gotta go hang out. Like, totally. isn't that awesome? That's rad. And it's so cool that like Joel and like mm-hmm. Devin have like facilitated that. It's kind of crazy that if you look at it in terms of the contest circuit, at least he used to be involved. Like, you had CJ, Joel, and Devin, mm-hmm. basically like pretty much in charge of these like the best like. The three different types of contests that you could go to in Longboard, which is kind of crazy. Okay. CJ's not in it anymore. But I, I do think it's really cool. Like, I love hanging out with you guys and going to these contests, too, because it's like, you guys all, it's like, you guys, like, take over a spot in a good way. Like, when yeah. you guys land in Rockaway, it's like, it's like, we're here. It's like the fucking whole the crew. The whole gang's there. It's Dude, fun. like, every, and then everybody there locally knows you within five minutes. Mm-hmm. They all, like, become friends with you. Like, it's really. Yeah, everyone's nice. Everyone's mellow. Yeah, I just don't see, I don't see it in a lot of other things. Like, in other types of surfing. Like, I go to North Shore every year. And as much as, like, those shortboarders descend upon North Shore every winter, like, there's not that vibe versus like the vibe I've seen you guys bring to like a community like a Rockaway yeah. is like really awesome because they're so into it and they're just yeah. like hungry for it. They're just like, yeah, come on in. Like we got bagels for you, whatever the fuck they're doing, right? Uh, which is cool. And you've been pretty, you've made some finals and been pretty successful. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you got a couple of checks, you know. Yeah. Got some party waves. Party waves. How was Japan? How was that whole experience? Oh, Japan was rad. Was it your Japan, first time there? First time in Japan. Okay. I love Japan. It was so much fun. Uh, we for the event, the waves were kind of small. That's fine. <laughs> for the event, it was pretty small, and I scored some waves. Before the event, I was there a week before, and I hung out in Chiba in uh-huh. Taito Beach. Uh-huh. That's where um, Utah's from, and I got to surf with Utah, which was really cool. The waves there were a little bit bigger, more consistent. Um, and it's mostly beach break, right? Yeah, this was like a weird... It had like a point set up with this wall coming out and backwash. Wild. Such a fun wave, though. Oh, weird. Yeah, it was... It was wild. And how were the people there, like that, that weren't into surfing in that in that town? Like with you guys coming in, like what was the reception you felt you got from? Um, in Chiba or where the contest where was? Where the contest was? Uh, everyone was stoked. They were psyched. Super psyched. Um, the whole so at each duct tape they have like a festival that goes along yeah. with it, and this. This go around, I mean, every go around, it's it's awesome. But this go around, everyone was just frothing, taking pictures with you, having you sign their shirt. Was uh, it a trip? A lot of handshakes. <laughs> yeah, no, it was cool. It was yeah, it was a trip, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> you're like I'm a superstar. What up? <laughs> yeah. So like, really, you want my autograph? All right. Who? Uh, Andy won the one in Japan. Yes. Yeah, and then Hano won for the women. Uh, yes. Pretty cool. Yeah. And you also won something else recently, which is really cool, the Innocence uh, Beach Break Boogie Contest. Talk about that yeah. a little bit. So what was your wave that you went through? Where was that shot at? That was in Oceanside. Uh-huh. And it was on a day where I didn't even think it was going to be worth filming or uh-huh. shooting. It was actually a really shitty day. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just got one of those. I got, yeah, it was... Yeah, it was... Uh, one in a million, I guess. I don't know. I don't. 
the day was shitty. The wave looked a lot better yeah. than how it actually was. Look, that's all that fucking counts. It doesn't matter. Like, the rest of the waves, the, the other 20 waves you might have caught might have yeah. been like shit, but that one was pretty But good. I was stoked. I showed Ryan up. Sh- I stoked. Did uh, Ryan shoot that or? No, my friend Kobe shot that. Okay. Yeah, we were on a mission to get some beach break waves. Um, we'd link up fairly often and try to, try to get one. Yeah. And we actually did, which is crazy. No, it was funny when that whole contest towards the end of it, Ryan, like, because we're working on our movie, Ryan would just, like, text me, like, every other day. He's like, dude, these guys want to go surf. They want to surf fucking beach break. They want to shoot this. Yeah. They shoot that. I was like, dude, just do it. Oh, that's all. That's all. Like, you guys are all, like, hungry. Like, which was cool to see. Yeah. Like, it was pretty awesome. Like, I love Sean's contest um, yeah. just because it gives the opportunity, not just for you guys here, but, like, all over the world to be mm-hmm. like, hey, all I got to do is just, like, video it and, like, send it in. And it's cool that I my favorite part about the contest was seeing the submissions come in. Yeah. Oh, it's so inspiring. It's you see it and then you get stuck and you go surf and a beach break and try yeah. to try to get it. <laughs> I think a lot of people, which is kind of like a, a bummer a little bit, is I think a lot of people because of that same reason is that they basically. Um, they held back on posting their clips because they didn't want other people to see what they were doing. Yeah. That's why you see, like, I mean, because I had a judge for, like, my little part of it, the illustrate, like, yeah. like, we didn't see stuff coming in for, like, weeks. And I then know. all of a sudden, like, a week before, it's just, like, Instagram is just flooded with, and I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. Like, I can't even follow this fucking hashtag now. It's like, I it's knew like, that was coming. I knew, I knew it was going to be pretty mellow in the beginning, and at the end, it was just going to be full game changer. Yeah. Everything go upside down. I mean, Sean was stoked. The video that they put together for it, too, was pretty funny that we saw the other Yeah, day. that was hilarious. I, that's the one thing I love about, like, the things that Innocence does, like, Sean, like, it's just very, like, he like does... Bong rip production. Yeah, he just does whatever the fuck he wants to do when he wants to do it. And I think that's, like, that's how our world of surfing is anyway. I dig it. Like, it's like it totally goes hand in hand. Um, speaking of things that go hand in hand with, uh, with surfing, uh, you uh, are pretty involved in yoga. How did how did that start out? Um, my yoga, well, yoga was always a thing in my house with my mom. Oh, okay. I wasn't into it then. Uh-huh. I actually had I wanted nothing to do with it, uh-huh. um, which is funny. And then I started dating my girlfriend, and she got really into yoga, and it got me to. She started teaching yoga in Encinitas at Yoga Tropics and she got me a cleaning gig where I'd go in once a week for a few hours and I'd clean up after classes and in exchange I'd get free yoga. Oh. Which is which is cool. Yoga's yeah. not cheap. No no no. Especially chilling in a hot room. room. No. Um and when I started cleaning, I wasn't practicing as much. I actually wasn't really practicing at all. I was just cleaning because, yo, my girlfriend's a teacher here. Might yeah, as well, yeah. you know, see her. Like, I wanted to get into yoga, but I just wasn't. Huh. And then, I don't know what happened, but it, like, the flip switched, and it was just yoga, yoga, yoga. When did that, how many years ago? That's um, probably two years ago. Okay. Yeah. And then it went from just cleaning to cleaning and doing two classes a day 
every day. Jesus. Like planning my surfs around my yoga schedule. Uh-huh. Now, did you? Here's the thing that I always ask people who are into yoga: Did you see a difference in your surfing? I wanted to. You were just like you were like it's. I was happen. I was waiting for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I definitely did. Um, I I mean it all. It starts in the morning. You wake up and you feel good. You wake up, you're not sore, or croggy, or so do you, wake up, do you feel practice good. Before you go surfing, or no? Uh, yeah, I definitely try to practice every morning. Uh-huh. Not like nothing crazy. But like about how? I'm just curious. Like about how long? Oh, uh, if it's first thing in the morning and I'm right about to go surf, I'll do maybe ten minutes, something okay. mellow. Uh-huh. Do some breath stuff and. Uh-huh. And that usually gets you like pretty stretched out and not even stretched out, just ready for the day. Uh, and a good mind frame. Good mind frame. Uh, ready for the day, ready to surf. I'm not gonna walk out the door and start yelling at people. Yeah, no, no, like you wanna be in a good mood when you go do anything. I think yeah. when you go into a positive when you're starting from a positive point, mm-hmm. you can carry that point with you throughout the day. Mm-hmm. I always think that's like very true. I used to be really into like meditation. I've mm-hmm. slacked in the last year and a half. That's why I'm angrier. Um, but uh, <laughs> when I did do it, it definitely like I'm walking out the door. Um, yeah, just in a better mood. And so were you? Did you? And you? You taught as well, right? Um, I've taught one class. Oh. It was a really good class. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I know. I've been doing privates. Oh, okay. Um, privates is fun. It's mellow. Um, I got my yoga certification in Chula Vista through Hano, uh-huh. an amazing teacher. And then right when I got my certificate and I was ready to go teach and do all this, a lot of surfing stuff came up. Busier. Busier. I just got busier. Yeah. So... And I mean, yoga's still there. Um, do you I think can it's still more... go teach, and I and I do, and I want to go do. Uh huh. Want to go teach. But you're doing privates, which is cool. Do you think that yoga has more of a mental or physical effect on your surfing? Um, I think if you go in it trying to get a physical effect, you'll come out of it with a mental or huh. more. You know, you go in it with the whole. So it's kind of unexpected what happens. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. I mean, yeah, the physical is there. Uh, I can breathe when yeah. I'm paddling. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure, like, I, the, can... the, I, I know it's like you're probably, like, you're slowing yourself down so much more. You're being a little bit more mindful. So probably on a wave, you're being a little bit more mindful as well. Like, yeah. you're just going to take that with you. Yeah. I always think it's right. I, I mean, I love hearing about, like, you know, for instance, like Cassia does like a lot of the sound bath stuff. And, like I started do- doing some of her. It's like I love hearing about people who like do these other things that there's an inadvertent flow into their surfing, right? That kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Which is kind of cool. I mean, physically, I can get lower than I could. Right, I can, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, put more pressure on my knees and my ankles. And... I got to get my fat ass back into that shit, to be honest. Uh, now, in terms of surfing, uh, you know, we'll go like a little industry now, if you will. So, lately, as of, well, I mean, I don't know how long it's been, but you've been riding Michael Takayama's boards. How did that start, that relationship? Um, he'd always be around at the beach. I think I, I, I don't know how I met him. 
just he's always been around cruising uh-huh. with Kai. I was surfing with Kai. Club contests. Uh-huh. He was in the Oceanside Club. And I remember he was shaping a few boards, and I picked up a blank and was like, "Yo, here you go." Uh, oh, you want? Yeah, to get give one? me some crazy. Give me a nose rider. And he made. Um, it's actually right over there behind the blue one on the rack. So, but he made that yellow one. The, the last board on the rack. Oh, okay. He made that thing, which is, which we later called the Annihilator. Uh huh. Yeah, fuck, that's that's my favorite board right there. So it's like totally. A that thing has been surfed to the ground, repaired, surfed to the ground, repaired. It's a magic board. Magic board. It sucks when you get one of those, right? Yeah, that's why it's yeah. it's there. It's staying there. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. I love that thing. And are you just now with the newer ones, are you just trying to replicate that? or? Uh, no, not at all. No, not at the all. The newer ones are way different. Okay. Um, like the Perplexer and the Annihilator now has evolved uh-huh. into a different board than the original Annihilator. Still the same idea. So what's the principle behind it if you, in terms of like surfboard design? Like what's the main thing that it's all about, you know? Stoke. A stoke. There you go. <laughs> no, because it's like there's there's like the tail blocks are the tails are really wide. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's interesting concave on them. Just shaping the board to get to do what you want when you want to do it. Yeah, because you guys can nose ride the fuck out of these boards. Yeah. Like in like the weirdest conditions. That's what I always think. It's crazy. Like you and Connie and Kai. Like when I watch you guys, like. Like when in Rockway, I was like, no, oh, you can't do anything on this wave. And it's like you guys were in the pocket. Like I was like, fuck off. Yeah. yeah, the boards are insane. Basically just trying to get the board to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Now how much of it for you, like when it comes to board design, if you had to break a break, I know this is like a kind of weird question, but a percentage of like nose riding to turning. Like is it 50% nose riding, 50% turning? Is it 70% turning? Like what for you is more, what are you more, you push more for I think about that a lot when I go surf. If I'm gonna nose ride this section or try to do a big turn, um, kind of mood I'm in, I guess. Um, I obviously a lot of it's nose riding. Yeah. Yeah, but you have some ill turns. So like but I try to put in not. When I turn, I don't want to do a little turn. I want to do like a power turn. No, you crank it. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you definitely. Like, when we were looking at footage for like your video part, like that was the thing. Like when we were entering your part, we were like, oh, this is fucking crank. Yeah. Like this is a fucking. I like the whole idea of power surfing. Uh huh. A longboard. Do you think that comes from like you starting out shortboarding, or where do you think that comes from? Uh, maybe just because I'm a little stockier guy. Uh huh. You Low like center of gravity, stocky. Yeah. Like to put it in. Yeah, I'm gonna. It's pretty it rough. Feels better. <laughs> no, I mean your surfing is like very unique in a lot of ways, and, and like one of the ways that like I, I really love it is that like when you turn, like you turn, like it's like yeah. it's like you like drop the hammer, like it's like no, it's happening, like it's a fucking turn, like it's like no one's gonna be like oh that's a little check turn, like no 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 that's a full legit like fucking you yeah. you did a turn. Get the rail in the water. And yeah, and it always looks good. Uh, one of the other companies that you've been developed a relationship with recently too is Moon Wetsuits. How did that happen? Um, I was in New York talking to Joel, and he was like, "Yo, need some wetsuits." 
Oh, it happened at yeah. Duct Tape? Yeah, I'm down. No, the WSL. Oh! And those wetsuits are, are top of the line, top of the game, yeah. best wetsuits. All Japanese made. Yeah. How long does it take you to get a wetsuit from them? Uh, or are they pretty fast? I mean, yeah, I think they're pretty fast. I got mine in a really reasonable amount of time. Uh -huh. I was stoked. And you uh, recently shot something with the whole team in uh, Japan, right? Yeah, uh, we did just a little thing when we were cruising around in Chiba. Uh huh. Um, Who was it? it? Was you, Ryan? Me, Ryan, Derek, Utah, and then Max was there shooting, and Scott was there, and Kazu, and the whole crew. That's a good crew. Yeah. I mean, you guys have like a sick team of people, like a lot of unique people, which I think is cool too. Like most of these like kind of wetsuit teams are kind of like. Like, they're kind of hokey, like, to be honest. You're like, ah, oh, fuck that. But, like, you guys have, like, Lauren and, like, you know, like, obviously Joel and, like, Tosh and shit like that. Strom. Strom, yeah. And then Will. And, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty good team. I love the product. I think it's really cool looking and it's, like, really well made. Really well made. I yeah. mean, usually if I get a suit the first month, I've already ripped the knees out. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn, you're abusive, huh? And these things are... They're holding up. It's rad. Warm. Yeah, and they're warm. Yeah, super warm. Dude, that's the thing. Like people like like the front on the Japanese suits. They're like, oh, they're so expensive. And like, you know how worth it it is? Oh, it's so worth it. Like I, I rock one that's like I seriously wear a two mil. I mean, it's a quality over quantity type thing. You can get a ton of you know, suits that aren't yeah, but Japanese made. Japanese made that are just gonna stand the test of time. No, they're, I mean, if you take care of them, they're like unbelievable. I know. I'm actually gonna wait for this to come. Michael working away. Yeah, there you go. I'll edit that out. When I did Hank, Hank Spizak's interview, mm -hmm. like, so, someone was just like fucking tearing up the fucking planer in the back. Oh, and I couldn't, like, edit it out. And I'm like, fucking, I gotta leave it. Yeah. And you hear, like, for half the interview, just someone with a planer, like, like really high pressure. Uh, who are some of the other people that have helped support your surfing out there? Sean over at Innocence, keeping the stoke alive. Um, FYI, CBD. It's good for the for the sore muscles. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Michael Takayama. Moon wetsuits. I like wearing Birdwell trunks. Yeah, they're good. Classics. Yeah. And where would you like to see your surfing go? Like, where, what do you want to do? Do you have anything in mind, or do you think the trajectory that your surfing is going now is, is pretty much speaks for itself? Um. I have a lot in mind. Okay. <laughs> I want to fuck around maybe with some bigger waves. Uh -huh. um, put more of put more of my time and energy into making my surf crafts with Michael and helping out and learning all the steps. So you starting to mess around with shaping? Ah, uh, messing around would be the right word. So you're learning from him. Yeah, picking up what I can. Now is that more surf? To obviously make boards for yourself? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's always it's. I mean, everyone says that's the best feeling ever. I can imagine. Surfing your own board. I can imagine. If it's a good one. Yeah, if it's a good one, yeah, I've shaped some pretty shitty boards. Yeah, no, no that's <laughs> the thing. Like, you, you, I interview like I mean, it was a good feeling, but it wasn't the best feeling ever. I have a lot of people that I've interviewed who are shapers, and they will all say the same thing. They'll be like, the first five boards I made were yeah. fucking garbage. Totally like, garbage. you spent all this time, and you're like... Now, I've always wanted to do it. something that, like, I hope yeah. one day to, like, kind of, like, learn from someone just for myself. Like, I would never want to go into business, but it'd be like... Yeah. It's also so you can communicate. Yeah. You could also it's, communicate with a shaper then, right? Like, uh-huh. you know the lingo. Yeah, totally. What things do. Like, okay, down rail's going to do this. 50-50 rail's going to do that. Yeah. And the whole process of the board coming to life, you know, after you shape it. That's really interesting, too. And... I'm just trying to spend as much time as I can in the factory with Michael and soak it all up. That's why you're here all the time. That's why I'm here all the time. <laughs> um, so I'm going to close this off with a question I ask everybody. If you had one place to surf that you've surfed before as your favorite place, what would it be and why? I told you I'd have to kill you. No, I mean... <laughs> no, I honestly... It's not far from home. It's right here in Oceanside. Oceanside Harbor. That's my favorite wave yeah. ever. And Why is it your favorite wave ever? It's cold in the morning. Uh-huh. Keeps people away. Keeps people away. The one it's, thing that's always nice about it is whenever the tides pull everywhere else, it still works. Yeah. Yeah. We I mean, came, everyone already knows. Yeah, we came, we came down here like a couple, like last week, like Worm and I, like it was like full everywhere else. We're like, okay, let's just drive 20 minutes. Oh, it was probably perfect. Yeah, we were like right here. We're like, yeah. It's always uh, a little bigger. Yeah, yeah, it was actually fun. Like it, for what it was, like I've always, I always have a fun time at, at this wave here. And it's convenient, you know, mm-hmm. it's like the parking's easy to deal with. Like it's never like, I mean, that's the thing that sucks about some of these places. Like you take a Sano or like, like a Malibu, it's like, I'm not gonna fucking wait line for parking. I'm not fucking doing no that way. shit. Like I'm not. No, I don't. No, I, forty minutes an hour. Bullshit. It's two hour lot all day. No, I can't do that. Um, <laughs> in closing, who would you like to thank or shout out to? Um, you for cruising down here, Michael for making kick-ass boards. Everyone who supports me. Mom, dad, girlfriend, everyone. Yeah. There you go. Everyone who inspires me. (laughs) That's the most important thing. All right, awesome. Thanks for sitting down. Thanks to David for hanging out and sitting down with us and talking. I'm such a big fan of his surfing. I just think he combines amazing nose riding with unbelievable turns. That for me is a complete longboarder, someone who can do it all. Because there's a lot of people out there who could just like park on the nose and get fancy there and be technical nose riders, which is fine. But I want to see some turns. I want to see some people getting critical, that kind of thing. And David is one of those people. I just love watching him surf. And I think what he brings to surfing is another dimension that we need to see. But enough of me talking. I don't want to be keeping you too long. I want to get back into tracks because we also have another interview coming up with Sarah Brady. So let's get back into it. I'll see you guys in a little bit. Peace.
them say you don't want me, you don't need me, not anymore. I hear them say you don't love me, you don't care for me, not anymore. Look at all those things I have been for you.
What is up? Welcome back. Hope you guys been digging the tracks. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 60. Let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page, bodegabordercrew.com. For merch drops, blog entries, you can figure out how to build a balance board. 
that kind of thing. Also, make sure to check out this episode description for track listings and links to things that we're talking about. This episode, we got to sit down virtually with uh, Sarah Brady. Sarah Brady is a surfer from Southern California, mostly in the northern San Diego County, San Onofre area. She's also very instrumental in bringing awareness about what's going on at the San Onofre power plant. A lot of people don't know about the nuclear waste that's there and what needs to be done and what you can do. So I ask her a bunch of questions about that and get some information for you to digest and see if you could do anything. So without further ado, here's the interview. So, uh, What's your name and where are you from? My name's Sarah Brady and I'm from Encinitas, California. And you grew up there, or um, I remember you told me you actually grew up surfing at San O. Yeah, I did. Um, so my grandparents have been a part of the San Onofre Surfing Club since the 1950s. And um, my my dad and all his sisters grew up surfing at San O and had just, back in the day there, there was, it was such a big party down at the beach, like every nice weekend, like and every summer. Mm-hmm. And so they had a really big extended kind of group of family friends down there. And it's really become a tradition for my family to spend a lot of time there. Um, we actually have our family reunion there every summer, but oh, it's wow. not just our family. It's like the whole group, larger group of people that our family is friends with from Sano and we call it Brady weekend and <laughs> everybody uh, books out their calendars in advance and comes and we, Pulled out all those old chairs or old tables, like the fold out vintage tables at Old Man's and have like a big hors d'oeuvre night. Wow, that's awesome. And yeah. Yeah, it's super fun. So your family's been like a part of that scene and that culture for like generations now. Yeah. My dad's actually currently the president of the San Onofre Surfing Club. Oh, he is. Okay. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so you grew up your earlier years surfing there. Now, did you do the contest that they had? Yeah, every year, every, every year. single year, um, mm-hmm, since I was a little grom. Um, so, I actually started out tandem surfing with my dad uh-huh. when I was three years old. Whoa. So the first contest I did was the San Jose Surfing Club tandem contest with my dad. Oh, that's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you start? When did you start surfing on your own? Kind of like your own board, your own thing going on. Like what age do you think that happened for you? Seven, I think, was when I I first remember surfing on my own. And I think by eight, I was like, I can sit on the outside by myself. (laughs) I can paddle out past the white water. (laughs) That's awesome. And who were some of the people, uh, guys and girls, like your age that you were surfing with there? Well, my family hung out at Old Man. So the girls that I grew up surfing with were my cousins and um, Emmy Lombard and Elsa Knutson. And Elsa is uh, the granddaughter of Pete Peterson. Oh, wow. So that's kind of the older generation of Sano yeah, yeah. legends. Um, yeah. And that's kind of the people my grandparents were friends with. And so it's just been like year after year, all these families coming together and spending time together at the beach. Um, the Turners, I don't know if you know them. No, but no. So quite a few families. So you, I mean, obviously you have a deep connection to the place and it's something that runs, I mean, it runs in your blood and it's, you know, pretty much like a part of your life. Um, Is that what inspired you to get to involved with the call to action to what's going on there? 
Pretty much. Um, San Onofre is like the nuclear power plant there has been there my whole life. So it's not something I really thought twice about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I questioned it when I was a kid. I remember asking my dad, you know, what it was, but he, he kind of just explained that it was a power plant. Um, and then when I was in my sophomore year of college at UC Santa Cruz, I took a class uh, for my sustainability studies minor. And the class was called... Uh, the Making and Influencing of Environmental Policy. And it was taught by a guy named Daniel Hirsch, who has spent his life working on uh, environmental justice and toxic waste issues. Um, and he runs his own nonprofit called Committee to Bridge the Gap, and he offered internships under that program, so un- under that nonprofit. Um, so when I was in his class, as one of the assignments, he had us look up on this interactive map um, what different environmental issues there were near our hometowns and it was a color-coded map and red was like bad yeah (laughs) and that's what San Onofre was right next to you know like very close to Encinitas uh, where I live so that definitely sparked my interest I started doing some more research on the issue Um, I learned that his nonprofit actually well he himself working for his nonprofit as a president exposed crucial information in 2012 when there was a leak at the plant and basically what they what the operator of the plant southern california edison did was they had a permit for these steam generator tubes so these like tubes that go inside of the machine that creates the power um and they needed to replace them and instead of they replaced them with a new type but were too lazy to get a new permit um, oh, for this this new type, so they just tried to file it under the same permit as a renewal. Oh my god! And that's what led to that leak. Um, and so Daniel Hirsch exposed that information, and it was pretty crucial in leading to the shutdown in 2012, rather than the plant shutting down a few years later at the end of its lifespan, because it was already really you know at a certain point they are no longer financially feasible they need to be rebuilt or shut down yeah and it's just fa- and so, it's falling apart it's just not yeah 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 it's i mean these things were built in the 60s so yeah. um so they shut down the plant in 2012 and what's happened since then is they have all this nuclear waste on site right and the federal government made a promise when they went ahead with allowing these companies to build all these power plants all over the world and all, or I mean, all over the United States. Um, and a lot of them are on big bodies of water because the power plants require water to cool down the right. nuclear reactor. Um, so when they allowed this uh, plan to go forward of building all these power plants all across the nation, they said, okay, we as the federal government will make the promise that we will designate and construct a final resting place for all the waste, all the toxic waste that will be deadly for hundreds of thousands of years. Um, And, you know, then politics got in the way, basically. Um, There was a legitimate path to finding a geologically suitable national repository for nuclear waste um, that was laid out by Congress. And then pretty much over time, the states with the largest congressional delegation um, found a way out, um, and Nevada ended up stuck with Yucca Mountain chosen right. as 
the final resting place. However, it was chosen based on political reasons rather than based on science. So what we essentially need now is to recreate that process, but we need to not allow politics to get in the way. It needs to be a purely scientific process of um, starting out with a large number of sites across the country and then slowly narrowing it down to the best geologically suitable location right. because Yucca Mountain, they went ahead and started building there and then partway through they're like, oh, there's actually too much water in this mountain. Oh my um, God. And it doesn't make sense. Like there's percolation of like water coming to the inside of this mountain yeah. and waste will not be safe here for yeah. 500,000 years. Some of the fuel at San Onofre is what we call high burn up fuel, which is burned so hot, it's heated up so hot that it's toxic for 500,000 years. Whoa. And I had no idea about that. I mean, it's it's so trippy to me. You know, growing up in New York, we had places like, we obviously had that Three Mile Island incident when I was really young. And then we also have, yep. we have Shoreham, um, which is on Long Island, which has been shut. I think it's decommissioned. Um, and, you know, we grew up around that and having that and didn't think anything of it. But, you know, ever since I've lived in Southern California and spent time in San Onofre, it's been such a trip to me to see that there's this decommissioned plant just sitting right there so close to the water. Because I guess what the big issue is, and you told me this before, is the fact that where they're storing the nuclear waste now is so close to the water. Yeah, so essentially, <laughs> the plant operator, Southern California Edison, decided it would be pretty much what they decided their location on was what's the least effort? like. Where can we put it that we don't have to move the waste very far and we don't have to spend too much money? And conveniently, they had a plot of land or space on their lot um, that is where Unit 1 used to be, which right. was decommissioned in the 80s, I believe. Okay. Um, and <laughs> there's like rumors going around in the nuclear your activism community that they put it there because then they don't have to worry about cleaning up that spot and I, oh. I don't really know if that's true or not but um it is 100 feet from the ocean and the way that they built out the containment it's like a concrete pad has these holes in it that they stick canisters stainless steel canisters packed full of nuclear waste in okay so they built this concrete pad and when they were in the process of building it, they actually realized partway through the process of building it that they were closer to the groundwater than they had uh, estimated or calculated. Oh my god. And so if you look at it, it's actually like it's raised, like it has a slant on the edge and it's because they like, it was going to be flat. Yeah. But they decided to like lift, like make a whole like concrete block. It's like 20 feet in depth because the canisters are 16 feet each. And so there's concrete around those stainless steel canisters, but concrete is porous. And yeah. Two feet from the water table, from salty, soggy sand, like, yeah. that's not a good idea in no, the long term, no, especially that... when you've seen how quickly the beach is eroding because of sea level rise. Yeah. And if you've been to San Onofre, you've seen it. Like, the beach is much smaller than it used to be, and it's sped up so much in the past five years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the spots in Southern California that you notice it the most, by far. I mean, it's definitely like, 
even from like month to month. I mean, I remember last year it was just like palm trees were falling. Like it was like like week after week, it was like like another six inches, another six inches, another six inches, and that is totally. a, and that is a dangerous environment to have this nuclear waste. Um, your activism involves getting people aware of what's going on, but also the end goal of moving the waste somewhere. What is, you know, what are you trying to bring awareness of on that level? Like what is the, what would be the plan to, to make it, you know, so that they could get rid of the waste in a, in a very like successful way? So conveniently, Southern California Edison, they have this lease of Navy land because San, San Jose State Beach is technically on Camp Pendleton's land. Right. So um, their lease extends to the other side of the I-5 freeway. Right. And they have a, a big, huge flat concrete pad over there that's like 124 feet above sea level. Mm-hmm. And it's like very, it's far away from the ocean. Like sea level rise is not going to hit that location. Right. And um, they used to have training facilities over there. So there's like old buildings and stuff. And we are saying they should either retrofit or build a new building over there and have the waste stored in an indoor building where the air environment is controlled so that there's not like salt in the air because right, that right. corrodes stainless steel. Yeah. Um, and so that if there were something that went wrong with one of these canisters, they could have what we call a hot cell within this building, which is basically like a isolated room where you put a canister in and then you can operate from a remote like control outside and you can do repairs or replacements. Um, because right now, the only other way that they could deal with a damaged canister is putting it back in the spent fuel pool, which the spent fuel pool is like a, a big pool of water where they put the rods of nuclear fuel right after they come out of the reactor and they're super hot. Right. And they have to sit in there for a while and cool down before they can put them in a canister. Right. And they're demolishing that building and they're they're getting rid of that and they're just going to leave the waste there and there's going to be no way to like deal with a canister yeah. if there's a problem so it's completely irresponsible and um you know if we do get a so if when because we really really eventually will need a final national solution because san onofre is one of the first power plants to shut down in the nation and this will be happening across the country at power plants very soon yeah. and nobody's talking about it yet right um if you know when that does happen that's going to take a while. Like that's going to be a long process. Like right. realistically, it probably won't happen for another 50 to 100 years. Wow. Um, that we even start constructing one. I mean, that I don't know. I would love if it happened sooner, but um, that's just my guesstimate of what I think realistically, like we're looking at for locating and constructing something that could secure nuclear waste for up to 500,000 years. Well, I mean, it's, it, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely like a long-term thing. Now here's the, here's the question, you know, it's obviously a lot of information for people to digest and understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, and I know we're going to post links to your website, which have all the information and different places they could learn about it. What can the everyday person do to help the cause? Um, you can contact your elected officials. So Congress members, um, senators, um, governors, anyone. Uh, right. Really, we, we just need politicians to be aware of this issue. It's, it's really a political issue at this point. Um, nobody is, nobody's talking about it. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, I think it's super important to note too that like we we can't have this mindset of just get it off the coast or get it like off our beach because we need to unite as a country. This is a national crisis yeah. and we need to work together to find solutions and we do not want to have a short-sighted solution like some people are proposing for consolidated interim storage, which would be a like temporary fix. They want to have private companies build facilities in New Mexico and Texas and um, have these private companies take ownership of waste and it's supposed to be short-term until there's a final fix, but we, we say that that will be a de facto final resting place because once those companies own the title to that waste and they're getting our taxpayer dollars to just literally hold nuclear waste on their land in the middle of the desert and they get to essentially self-monitor, self-regulate yeah. because even though the Nuclear Regulatory Commission presides over them, they report their own numbers. Right. So I think it's just important that people recognize that we can't say, get it out of my backyard. Um, it's a much bigger issue and there are short-term, you know, Santa phrase very unique, short-term solutions, um, like the move it to the Mesa option that I talked about. It's like a hashtag we have going. Okay. Save Santa, move it to the Mesa. <laughs> That's pretty hashtags. cool. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, hashtag no nukes at Santa. Those are the top three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so just contact your elected officials, talk to people about it. Like, look at my website at the all the different links that I put up for um, different things related to San Onofre, and I'll continue to post um, calls action there. And um, you can attend if you're in the area. You can start attending via Zoom um, the quarterly meetings that uh, Southern California Edison puts on for the community. Um, and you can speak if you want. You can just listen um but yeah really just getting a word out is very important at this point well, awesome. I mean, I, I think I think the meeting thing you had mentioned it, the Zoom meeting, because obviously with the coronavirus, that's what we're dealing with. You know, before it used to be in person. So I guess the next one, because they just had one, what the next one is going to probably happen in like three months or so. Yeah, about three months from now. Okay, so that's something that people. Okay, so that it. yeah, so people should be aware of that and just check back on your website. Um, but listen, like you know, I definitely want um, my listeners to kind of know about this cause i've talked about it before i think it's important especially with everything that's going on right now people are at home and they have an opportunity to be to feel helpless and that they can't do anything but as you said if if all it is is about calling politicians emailing politicians mailing letters to politicians if you have nothing to do right now it's the best opportunity to do it right it's kind of like when else are you going to do it? Um, yeah, write about what Sano means to you and how important this issue is. Like, we really need it. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Well, listen, thanks for sitting down. Thanks for taking some time. And uh, hopefully uh, see you out there. All right, great. Thank you so much. You awesome. too. Thanks to Sarah for hooking up with us to do the interview. Obviously, we couldn't do it in person, and that's just going to be the norm now for a little bit. But she gave a lot of information, and I think what she's doing is very important for not only us as surfers, but for the environment and the community as a whole. You have to think about this nuclear waste is not going away, and we have to do something with it. And to think about it being in these canisters, basically right on the ocean, after we've had incidents in Japan where they've had nuclear 
breakdowns because of earthquakes and natural disasters and look we have earthquakes all the time it's a very scary thing to think about that going into not only into the pacific ocean but affect the whole west coast and california so make sure to check out the links that we put that sarah gave us and see how you could be active i think now more than ever you have an opportunity to be active because a lot of people are trying to figure out what they can do while they're home when they have time how instead of looking at the news all the time about what's going on outside this is one of the things that you could do you could write your congress member you could educate yourself you could be prepared so when they have these meetings you could go at it but anyway thanks sarah thanks for all you do not just the interview but without further ado let's get into some tracks because it's getting a little heavy in here and i'll check in with you guys with some short takes in a little bit peace
Welcome back to volume 60 of the Bodega Board Crew podcast. I told you it was going to be a mix of stuff. I know there's going to be people who are listening to the tracks being like, why didn't you pick this one? Why didn't you pick that one? Because it's impossible. It's impossible. You know, I had to put Althea Donna in there. I had to put some other ones of my favorites. It's just how it is. There's a lot of stuff in there. And I kind of just like nitpicked a couple things here and there. But anyway, let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our page, bodegabordercrew.com. Also, check out the full description of this episode on your iTunes player for track listings and links to things that we're talking about. And this week, we have some really good short takes. The first short take I want to talk about is a little clip that emerged that's a review of the Byron Bay Surf Festival that happened this year. You know, obviously a lot of stuff is getting canceled and that kind of thing. And this was like a nice thing for someone to send me just to see how that festival went down. The Byron Bay Surf Festival is one of the most famous surf festivals and it takes place in Byron Bay in uh, Australia. I've been dying to go. I have a lot of friends that go. And this was a nice video just to see what goes down. I'd like to see a lot of this kind of thinking go into surf festivals in California. I don't know why it doesn't happen. And it's something I've talked to with Joel about, with Ed from the Hot Dogger, with a bunch of people. I think at some point we just have to form a committee, sit down and make this happen, to be honest. But check out the video. There's a link to it in our episode description. I hope you dig it. The next uh, clip that we have as a short take is this thing called Awoke that features CJ Nelson. That was made by uh, Steve Cleveland. This is a really cool, I would call it almost a short film. Edit, I don't know. Uh, it's a really cool piece that Steve Cleveland did for CJ Nelson and where CJ talks about this dilemma that a lot of people have where what board would you pick if you didn't care what people thought or saw or scoring you or any of that kind of stuff that you would have for the rest of your life and CJ has taken this trip down that wormhole if you will with an amazing shaper Ryan Engel and I have a couple of his boards and Ryan and him have worked together and come up with these boards that CJ has just been ripping on. I was there during some of these film sessions at Sano at Bunnyfuckers, and I remember seeing CJ just surfing lights out. Like it was fucking insane. Like how he could turn and manipulate those boards is unbelievable. And I have to say, having a longboard that does have some roll on the bottom that I wouldn't necessarily call a hull, but has a lot of that kind of feel, I see where he's getting that feeling that he's talking about because I do love surfing my board every once in a while that has that feeling as a longboard. It's a lot of fun and I don't think any of my other boards have that feeling. But this clip is amazing. CJ surfing is amazing. Steve Cleveland did a great job. And I suggest you check it out just to see what these boards are about and what CJ has been about lately, which is very different than his competitive surfing days. And the last short take I have is this clip that our boy Robots from Kevin Jansen put together called Catfish, which was one day at Blackie's, uh, I don't know, it was maybe like two months ago. I know I was in the water when he was filming that day. And it was when this right by the pier was working that I heard from a bunch of people who were local saying that it hardly ever works. Like it's maybe once or twice a year. And we were there for that day. And it's a clip with Alex Nost, uh, Joe, Grant Noble, Summer Richley, and that day, I remember seeing Alex surf and he was like, lights out, lights out. It's like unbelievable to see 
how he was surfing that day. I'm always like, to be honest, like almost every time that I've surfed around Alex, it's it's like a new experience. It's just mind blowing. And but that day, it was like there was some switch that went off, and he was just killing it. Grant kills it in the video. And again, in general, I love how robots present surfing. Like it's the surf films that I really get turned on by. Like I love watching his movies and his clips and his edits because they're not like anybody else's. And it's not like original for the sake of being original. They're just very well put together and they're appropriate for what's going on. That's about it for episode 60 of the Bodega Border Crew podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys enjoyed the interviews, the tracks. The short takes the whole thing. You know, a lot of content's gonna be produced over the next couple of months. I'm really excited. I know I've been talking to a lot of surf filmmakers and podcasters and writers and photographers, and we're all gonna be pumping out stuff so that we're all engaged while we can't get in the water. One of the things I want you to check out is our Instagram Live we do every Wednesday called Wednesdays with Worm at 1 p.m. Pacific. These are really cool sessions, just her and I talking for about an hour mostly the same way we talk post our surf sessions and that's where this idea came from the other thing is we will be posting them the following thursday evening on youtube on our youtube channel so make sure to go over to youtube and search bodega border crew to subscribe to our channel and get alerts for it we have a bunch of videos up there now we're going to be posting more and more videos so i really suggest you do that also i want to thank everybody who made purchases of the last drop we're pretty much sold out. We have another drop coming. I'm glad that Joel let me make that t-shirt. You know, I really give him a lot of credit. And it's really an ode to him and surfing and skateboarding and all the things that I love. And that's about it. So listen, I hope this brought you a little happiness. I hope this kept you company for a couple of hours. And listen, we'll see each other soon in the water. And there's no need to bust a craze out there. Stay home. Be creative, work the best you can, take care of your kids, take care of your family. Most important, take care of yourself. See you out there.
conversation. 